Uh, we're going to continue in our October series that we're doing this month, where we're uh, spending the whole month focused on the fear of the Lord. And this is not a being afraid of God, but it's about living in reverence and an honor and a respect for our God who saved us, set us free, redeemed us, and brought us back into himself. And uh, I've really enjoyed it. It's been challenging for me, and I, I hope it has been for you too. Uh, I want to jump right in and give you my text verse for this morning. Uh, before we move forward, it's going to be out of First Peter 1. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn there, or it'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, would you stand with me, please, as we honor God's word together this morning? 1 Peter 1, 17 to 19. It says, And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him. That's just another way of saying live in the fear of the Lord. During your time as temporary residents here. And here's the why. This is why we live in the fear of the Lord. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Thank the Lord. Praise God. Uh, I'm going to talk to you today about uh, living in awe or apathy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word. God, would you do what only you can do in these next few moments inside us and through us. Let it produce fruit, God, and we ask that you would receive all the glory because you're the only one that deserves it. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Praise God. So the Bible talks a lot about fear. It actually tells us not to fear. It's all through the Bible where it says, fear not, or don't be afraid, or be strong and courageous. Uh, cast your fear on the Lord. You know, it's all over the Bible. The only place, the only thing, entity we are told to fear in life is God. That's it. In fact, Jesus himself said, do not fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who can destroy the body and the soul in hell. So we're not meant to fear anything except God. But again, this is not a living afraid of God, biting our nails, trembling in fear, but about living in a reverence of who he is, living a life that, that is defined by giving him the glory, the honor that he is due, that we don't just sing that you are worthy of it all, but that we live in such a way that exemplifies that we really believe that he is worthy of it all. It's about, that's living in the fear of the Lord. Um, and we're preaching this series this month because one of the reasons is because uh, the church at large uh, has a tendency to take a uh, too casual of an approach towards our relationship with God. Uh, it's, it's very common. It's, it's something you see everywhere. In fact, I've had a lot of people come up to me this month and thank me for, thank us for doing this series because I've had people say that, you know, I, I realized I was actually taking too casual of an approach in my relationship with the Lord, that I'd kind of lost the fear of the Lord in my life. And that's something that we could all be susceptible to. And so that's why we, we're being reminded this month of what that looks like and what it is meant to be in our life. Because it's dangerous that we would allow it, our, our faith walk to be something where we would take it so casually. Because what that does in our life is it actually breeds apathy in our faith. Which is why I mentioned, that's why I titled the, the sermon today, Awe or Apathy, because apathy is something that is very prevalent, it's very dangerous, and I, I hope to show you that today, because uh, I think it's something we need to be aware of in our life. 
And uh, I, I believe you'll be encouraged in this. Uh, and in Romans, Paul talks about, um, about not being lazy in Romans 12. In fact, I'm gonna read the verse here at the top because I wanna kind of build off of this. In Romans 12, verse 10, he says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy. In other words, don't be apathetic, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. Amen. So this speaks to one of the biggest stumbling blocks in our faith, which is just being lazy about our faith, being apathetic, allowing apathy to take root in our life. And it's, apathy just means to, to have a lack of concern. It doesn't mean we don't care at all about our faith. It just means if we're in that place, we just don't care enough to make it a top priority in our life. And the danger here with apathy is so clear because the reality is that the fear of the Lord in your life and being apathetic, those two things cannot coexist. They can't exist together. One will actually disprove or push out the other one. If you're living in the fear of the Lord in a way that you're honoring God in your life, then there's no place for apathy because to honor God in your life is an active thing. It's a, it's a passionate thing. It's something that comes from inside of you and you're living in such a way that it, it actually pushes out apathy and causes you to be motivated to live in a way to honor God. And the opposite is true too, that if you're walking and living in apathy and you're apathetic towards your faith, you can't have the fear of the Lord because it doesn't even allow for that because to have the fear of the Lord, there, there isn't room for apathy. There isn't room for a lack of concern because you are concerned. So you can't honor God with your life and be lazy about serving him. Just like you can't stand in awe of him and be apathetic in your approach to him. It just doesn't work, they're contradictory by nature. And my text verse in, uh, in 1 Peter that I read, it actually says that God paid a ransom to save you. Do you remember that, it was in, in that verse? And it is very, very important that we, that we that I break this down a little bit and expand on it because the fact that God paid a ransom, that tells us that we were prisoners, that we were being held captive. In fact, uh, it reminded me when I was going through this this week, obviously everybody knows that there is a war going on over in Israel right now and it's, a, it's been going on for a couple weeks that started just a little over two weeks ago when a terrorist attack came into Israel and killed over 1,300 people. And, in the midst of that, they also kidnapped about around 200 people and took them back into their bunker and their area, right? That's pretty fortified and, and uh, hard to get to. And these people have been held captive. And I don't know about you, but I, I've been watching the news a little more this week than normal over the last two weeks because it, you're just looking for hope in this whole situation, right? Because it is so devastating and so awful in so many ways. And you're just looking for signs of hope. And this week, if you've been watching, you know that there was two women, Israeli-American women, that were actually released from captivity. They were a mom and daughter. And they were released a few days ago. And it was an incredible moment. They got pictures of them as they were uh, coming back into Israel. And it was amazing. And, and I, I was just thinking about this. And I thought, you know, if, if they were to do an interview, which they may, uh, at some point, the expectation for all of us watching that interview would be that they would be talking about how grateful they are for whoever it was that paid their ransom or set them free or negotiated their release. Whoever that was and however it worked, you would expect that they would be incredibly grateful, that they would honor the people or the person that set them free. And if they didn't, and they kind of had a 
you know, kind of a ho-hum attitude about it, like, yeah, you know, somebody helped, but, you know, whatever, and they wanted to talk about themselves more, we would kind of be scratching our heads thinking, do they not understand? Do they, I mean, I'm sure they understand the situation they were in. They were in a place that not just anyone could go in and get them, right? It wasn't just something where, you know, it's like, they're like, I'm just done playing with you guys. I'm leaving. They were being held captive by a very strong prisoner, prison keeper, right? And for them to not be ecstatic and very grateful for what was done for them would make us scratch our heads. Yet we do it in our faith all the time where we have been ransomed. We, and we've been ransomed from a situation that is infinitely worse than the one those women were in. We were ransomed from a situation where we were basically dead. We were held captive, we were held prisoner, we were living in bondage, and there was nobody on the face of the earth that could set us free and ransom us or negotiate our release except one person, and that was Jesus, and he did it. And he ransomed us from the, the prison that we were in. And so Peter is telling us, because he ransomed you, live in the fear of the Lord. Live in reverent fear of him because of what he did for you. Live your life for him now because it didn't just, you know, come in and say, hey, do you want to be part of my family? He had to do a lot to make sure that was able to happen for you. And because he ransomed us, we live in honor and fear of him. Yet it's still something we struggle with. It's still something that we can easily get wrapped up in and dabble in apathy in our life. I, I'm, I deal with it myself all the time where I, I've seen signs in my life where I can start to recognize where I'm becoming a little apathetic in areas of my faith, where it's, where it's, not, where it's not so much about honoring Jesus as it is about me or just my own needs or whatever. I know you think, well, you're in ministry. You're, you're paid to, be, to grow in your faith, right? So it should be really easy. It's not. There is a, a million things out there that can cause me to be apathetic just like there is for anybody else. And it's a challenge for us. And uh, Peter tells us in that my text verse, he says that God will judge or reward us based on what we do. So live with reverent fear. God will judge or reward us based on what we do. So live in reverent fear. He's basically saying, listen, because I have ransomed you, I'm gonna judge you based on how you respond just like we will do if those women do an interview. We will judge them based on how they respond to being ransomed. That's exactly what God does for us and his judgment is pure and it's perfect and it's holy. Ours is based on, on all kinds of things, right? So it's very, very important that we understand and we walk in this reverent fear of God. Apathy can be a monster, but we gotta starve the monster. The problem is almost everything in life is designed to actually feed it, not starve it. That's why we have to be so intentional about it. And so I have, I have a few things in my own life that I have noticed for me that can be signs, things I can look to to see if, if I'm dealing with apathy, if I'm dealing with just kind of not being really motivated in my faith, that I can see and recognize that this is something I'm dealing with. And so I wanna give you these four things because I believe they're from the Lord that, uh, that will help us to even ask ourselves, are these things I deal with? So that we can, we can, turn away from those things. We can repent from those things and allow God to take us where he wants us to go in our faith, okay? So let me give you the first one. The first sign that we are feeding the apathy in our life is short-sightedness, if we're being short-sighted. Now, this is not an optometrist's diagnosis, okay? I'm not talking about what you see. 
I'm talking about your vision. Do you have vision for your life beyond just what's going on right in front of you today? Do you have vision for eternity? Do you have an eternal perspective in your life? Or is your life just about what is happening today, tomorrow, this week, this month? Because you know, God's plan for us is not that we would be short-sighted, that we would just all give all of our focus to those things that are in front of us immediately, but that we would have an eternal perspective in our life. I, it's easy for us to think, you know, I have so many things to concern myself with. I've got, I've got bills that I gotta figure out how to get paid this week. I've got a job I have to go to that I really don't like this week. I have kids that are sick this week. I've got a marriage I'm trying to keep together this week, today, right in front of me. I've got all these things that are going on, so it's really easy for me just to focus on those things and not really give much long-term attention to my faith or even to honoring God with my life. I don't have time to honor you, God. I just want you to kind of bless me as I do all my stuff because that's really where I have the energy to put. And we can become incredibly short-sighted. This is a big one actually for me because I am, by nature, I'm pretty short-sighted. In some ways it can be a good thing in the practical and then in the natural, uh, but in the spiritual, it's, it can be very detrimental. I mean, I, I'm, I'm somebody that, you know, I'm a pretty good problem solver. Problems come my way. I'm pretty good at not overreacting and dealing with what's in front of me and, and being able to tackle tasks and, and get things done. Uh, I'm basically, by, by nature, I'm more of a manager where I just manage the situations around me and keep things moving and try to get through the week to the next week. And that works okay in, in work and in ministry and stuff like that. But I have to be very, very intentional to not allow myself to live out my faith like that. Where it's just about dealing with what's in front of me right now and being short-sighted because there's so much more. There's a big picture. There's a big picture that needs some of our focus and some of our attention, that needs for us to be able to think about those things and to help us with our perspective because when we have that perspective, it actually helps us in the short-sighted things too to give us good perspective. But we have to be intentional about it because if we don't, we can actually even lose sight of what Jesus did for us. I wanna share a scripture that, that kind of backs that up out of 2 Peter, okay? And this is where Peter just got done saying that God has given us everything we need for godly living. Okay? He's given us the spirit of God living in us. He's given us everything we need to be able to live a godly life. And then he goes on in verse five of chapter one to say this. He says, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance, patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But look what happens if for those that don't. But for those who fail to develop in this are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. That's a sobering verse. To think that if I'm not intentionally growing in my knowledge of Jesus, that I'm not intentionally adding to my faith all these things that he's saying to add, that I become short-sighted, which is obvious because that means I'm just focusing on the here and now, but that he says you could even forget that you have been cleansed from your sins. The idea of being saved just kind of becomes, yeah, I'm saved. It just becomes old hat. And you can, you can allow this to happen in your life. And it is very, very common. It's common in the church. It's so common, it's cliche for people to just be focused on the things around them and what's going on in their life and just kind of 
looking to God when they need him, but not really having a long-term mindset when it comes to our faith. And this will kill your fear of the Lord in your life. Peter goes on here to say that knowledge, it's about the knowledge of Jesus, that we have to grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And growing in knowledge of Jesus will always, always increase the fear of the Lord in your life. Not decrease, it will increase it. If you're in relationship with him and you're also growing in your knowledge of him, it will cause the fear of the Lord in your life to grow. It will cause you to have more of an understanding of who he is. And the more we understand who he is, the more we wanna honor him. The more we wanna live in, in reverence to him. The more I grow in my relationship with Jesus, the more I know him, the more I understand who he is, the more I love who he is, and the more I want to do for him and the more I want to please him. The more I want to honor him in my life and I want to keep those other things that that might be in my face all the time and they're real and I have to deal with them, but that those things would not consume me in such a way that I just give the Lord my leftovers. And I just, you know, God, I'll call you if I need you. But that he's the priority in my life. And if we fail to develop in this knowledge of Jesus, we will be short-sighted. And it's very detrimental to our faith and especially in living and honoring God. So the question for us is that I want you to contemplate today is am I short-sighted? That's the first question, okay? Just be thinking about that. As we go to the second one, the second thing that feeds the apathy in our life is distractions. Now you might think, well, isn't short-sighted? You know, that's about distractions. You're just thinking about the things in front of you. This is more than just being short-sighted, but it actually is talking about not even having the capacity for more. I'm not just choosing to focus on the things right in front of me. I don't even have the capacity to do more than what I'm doing. That I don't have space in my brain, that I don't have margin in my life to give God more honor, to focus on honoring him in my life. You know, distractions are everywhere. That's nothing new. They've been everywhere forever. You know, they, they change over time. You know, now it's TVs and and uh, phones and computers and Netflix and all the streaming services and everything that, that can come our way that's wanting our attention, the computers and the internet and the news and social media and all that stuff is incredibly distracting, right? Well, the distractions that we have now are, prob- are different than they were 2,000 years ago, but there were just as many back then too. They're just different. And the reality is they all come from the same place. They all come from the same place. Just because your distraction looks different than the distractions from millennial ago, it doesn't matter. They all come from the same place. In fact, 2 Corinthians 11, Paul gives us a little clue into this. He's talking to the church in Corinth, and that's, that's a letter for us today too. In verse three, he says, I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray In other words, you might be distracted from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. It's all deception. The distractions are all deceptions. It's all things to make us think we need to focus our attention on that before we give anything to God. Before we make him the top priority, we've gotta get everything else done first in our life. It's a deception that's been going on since the Garden of Eden. And the idea behind this 
is that this deception is meant to make us think that these other things are all more important or at the least that God at least understands. You know, God understands. I just have, I, I just have to take care of all my stuff. I got to take care of me. And God, you know, uh, uh, I, I know you'll be there when I need you. You know, you, you, hear, you hear teaching about this. Hey, listen, you just got to take care of you. God just loves you so much. He's going to be there when you need him. And church, that is terrible, terrible teaching. It's terrible teaching to think that I got to take care of me first. And, and then if I have room, I'll come to God. The idea is that we would come to him first in everything. That he would be our first priority. That he would be, that, that, that the distractions in our life would have to bow their knee to our relationship with Jesus. That they would not have priority over that. Even though these things can seem more demanding and they're more prevalent in our face. But when we really have the fear of the Lord, we understand that man, he really is worthy of it all. And I don't know how I'm even going to get through this day if I don't make sure I prioritize my life that it's about him first. Because that's the irony of it, you know, is that when we focus on all the other things, it, it stirs up a lot more unhealthy things in our life when if we would give him first place, he would actually give us discernment and help us to even see these other things in perspective. But the distractions are meant to keep us away from that. Jesus gives a parable of the sower in Mark 4, and I mentioned this briefly uh, recently, and, uh, but let me, I want to touch on it today because I think there's a part here that's really relevant for the church. Uh, he's, he's talking about the fact that when, when there's truth thrown out, when God throws out the truth, you know, he says he throws out the word, it's like seed being thrown out, and whatever kind of soil it lands on determines what happens to that seed. And he's saying that our hearts are the soil, and he gives four different kinds of soils that the heart has. Okay, there's just four. And it's worth noting that three of the soils are actually in the church because they're people that actually received the word and got saved. So three of them, there's only one that's, that's outside of the church. It's the one where the, the bird scoops up the seed, the, the enemy takes the seed before it even has a chance to germinate in the person's life. But the other three are all for Christians, they're for us. Talking about how we respond to the truth of God. And the one that I think is probably the most prevalent for us today that I think we need to look at is, uh, is the one in verse 18 of Mark 4. I'm going to read it. He says, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. In other words, making it apathetic, making it to where it's not a big concern in our life. Now, for the church, this, this is the church because they, you can see that they received the word. It produced fruit in their life. It brought salvation. It brought some fruit in their life, but it gets choked out. Apathy settles in. Distractions abound, and too often those things went out. So think about this, church, because I, I know if you're like me, I like to compare myself to the really healthy soil that produced the, the huge crop, you know? But the reality is this soil is very prevalent in my life sometimes, too because of all the distractions in life that can keep us from really producing that fruit, from really receiving the truth of God in our life. And he gives three distractions here. And how many know Jesus, is, he's intentional about what he says. He's not just trying to pull stuff out of the air for sermon fodder like some of us preachers do. <laughs> he actually is intentional with everything. And when he gives us these three distractions, I think it's worth noting for us. 
that he's saying like, these are the things that will choke out the word in your life. These are the things that, these are the distractions that will keep you from really understanding how to live in the fear of the Lord. So let's look at them real quick. The first one is worries. He says the worries of this life, choke it out. The irony is that worries, the worries of life will definitely choke out the fear of the Lord in your life. But the fear of the Lord will make the worries not nearly as prevalent as, they, as you think they are. But these worries of this life will distract us from really pursuing God. And now listen, everybody has worries. We all have worries and it's a big deal. In a, in a modern society, worry is one of the most, one of the top issues that people deal with is worry. And we don't wanna worry, but we don't really know how to stop. And I can tell you that one of the greatest tools that God gives us against worry in our life is the fear of the Lord. Because when, when we understand who he is, when we understand how great he is and that I'm actually his child and that I'm actually part of his family and that he's the tower that I'm running into to be safe, when we actually have understanding of that, and you don't have understanding of that if you're not walking in the fear of the Lord, but when you have the understanding of that, you don't have to worry. It is a freedom that only God can give. And let me tell you something. If you want a freedom that only God can give, this is a freedom that does not depend on circumstances. Oh, praise God. Praise God for a freedom that has nothing to do with what's going on around me. That's his plan. We think freedom comes when everything's good. Well, if my kids get grown up and get married and get out of the house, that's when I'll have freedom. <laughs> that is some ignorant talk there, right? When I'm retired and have a million bucks in the bank, woo, freedom, thank God. I mean, but that's how we think. We've all been there thinking if I could just get through this thing, I'm gonna be free. No, freedom does not depend on circumstances if it's the freedom of God. The freedom God gives has no dependence on our circumstances when it comes to worry. But nevertheless, we choose to allow that to bring apathy in our life and our relationship with God. The second one he gives is deceitfulness, deceitfulness of wealth. This is a deception that wealth will make us feel fulfilled, it'll make us happy, it'll make us safe, it'll bring sustained joy into our life. And I mean, I, I talk about it some, but it's hilarious because we are, we are the wealthiest generation in the history of the world and we're the least happy. Can we put that together? Can we understand that it's not about having more stuff? It's not about having the best phone or a nicer car or a bigger house. It is not where happiness comes from. But we just can't seem to get it through our head because credit card debt is higher than it's ever been. So we're gonna keep spending. It's the deceitfulness of wealth. I mean, Jesus is saying it right here. Wealth is deceitful. It doesn't give you what you think it gives you. It's so difficult to understand that when you live in the land of opportunity like we do. If I just work a little harder, it'll be a little better. And it's not where it's at. It's not where it's at. And then third, he gives us the desire for other things. This is just the flesh in action. This is the sin that entangles us. This is the sin that draws us away. Sin will bring apathy in your faith quicker than anything else in the world. When you give yourself to sin, it just breeds apathy because you just can't care about the sin and still have the fear of the Lord in your life. You can't you, you, you can't be going over here and choosing this and expect to just say, I'm living to honor God. And so it's these desires that we have, these fleshly desires that keep us distracted. So the question for this is, am I distracted? 
Am I distracted? And if we are, we need to recognize it and give it to God. All right, third, and I need to move along. The third one is pain. Pain feeds apathy in our life. There are few stronger motivators for apathy than pain in our life. And not just in your faith. Pain, in whatever area you have pain in your life, whether it's emotional, physical, financial, whatever it is, that is where you will become, tend to become apathetic because of the pain. It makes you recoil. I, I can give you a, a really quick example, okay? Maybe, maybe you've done this. Maybe you've said, you know what, I'm gonna get in shape. You know, we're not too far from New Year's, we're getting close. Thinking like, New Year's, yep, that's it, I'm gonna get in shape. Tired of feeling bloated, tired of feeling flabby, not having any energy, I'm done. I'm getting in shape, I'm gonna start working out. And then you go have that first workout. And if you did it right, there's a lot of pain in that workout. And if you did it right and you haven't done it in a while, there's gonna be pain after the workout. And if you're old enough, there's gonna be pain days after the workout. <laughs> and it's amazing how your priorities will shift when there's pain. Because suddenly you start to think, ah, I'm not really that bloated. <laughs> What's on Netflix? And those priorities will shift because of the pain. And it does the same thing in your faith, church. It does the exact same thing in our faith. It, pain will feed apathy in regards to honoring the Lord and fearing the Lord in our life more than most other feelings. In fact, many people, many Christians have been passionate about serving Jesus. They've been loving Jesus. They've been living for him. They've been serving him. They've been doing everything they know to do. They've been adding to their knowledge. They've been working to grow and things are going really great. And then all of a sudden here comes some pain. And it's the pain that comes that you blame on God. Not out loud, of course. We would never do that. We're Christian enough to not say it out loud. But we believe it in here. It was an unanswered prayer. Whatever it was, it was an unanswered prayer for health or for healing for somebody or for a financial miracle that you needed or a relationship, you're praying to have it restored and, and it fell apart. Praying for your kids to love Jesus and they just keep getting further and further away from the faith. And pain comes in. And you gotta respond to that pain somehow, right? It's gonna force us to respond when we have that pain. And what the tendency is, is that our priorities and our faith change because of that pain. They change and we become more apathetic in our faith. And some of you have gone through that. Most of you have probably gone through that in some way and some of you are going through it right now. And let me just say, if you're gonna live for Jesus, there's gonna be disappointment in your life. You're gonna have times where you're disappointed with God. And I don't even begin to apologize for that because every one of us deals with it and there's nothing even wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with being disappointed with God because disappointment just means unmet expectations. If you're walking with Jesus, you're gonna have expectations. And there's gonna be times that those expectations aren't the same as his and so they're gonna be unmet. So you're gonna be disappointed. The key is how we respond to that disappointment. And it is the difference between life and death. And I am not overstating it. It is the difference between life and death. How we respond to the pain in our faith is determined, determines whether we will live or die. Because when we live in the pain that we've experienced with God and we just live in that bitterness and that disappointment, we never come out of that, 
It will absolutely kill your faith. It will kill it. You will have a dead faith like James talks about. It will not be active, it will not be vibrant, it will not be serving God, it will be dead if you don't respond the way that God would have you to respond in it. And what we have to do is understand, and this, this helps me a lot because I've had plenty of disappointment with God. What helps me understand this and, and gives me what I need is to understand that there is a lot about God that is a mystery. There just is. We got one big book with 66 little books in it to tell us about God. That's all we got. And he's finite. You know he's a lot bigger than 66 little books. There's a lot about God that's a mystery. There's a lot about God that I don't understand, but I am not going to focus on the things I don't understand. I'm gonna focus on the things I do understand. What I do understand is even though it didn't go my way, he's faithful. What I do know is that even though this situation looks bad, he is good. And even though it looks like he didn't come through and he rejected me in this situation, he loves me and he didn't reject me and he's walking through it with me. And that church has got to be enough. It has to be enough for us because there's no other answer. There's no other answer. And if it's not enough, what is gonna happen is you're gonna, your faith is gonna just crumble because what you're gonna do is you're gonna focus on what God hasn't done for you instead of focusing on what he has done for you. And that's what's more important remembering that he ransomed you and that he loves you and that he has called you by name to be his own. How we respond. When we have pain from God, it elicits one of three responses for us. One is to ignore it, act like it didn't happen. You know, you don't talk about it. You still know it's there, but you're trying not to let anybody else know. It's like when you have an ingrown toenail you don't wanna deal with. Like you don't tell anybody and you try to act like it's not there, but when you bump it, you know it's there. I've had one of those. And anytime that thing gets touched, it flares up and you know it. That's exactly what it's like when we try to ignore the pain that we think is from God. We ignore it or we embrace it. And this is not the good kind of embrace. This is about holding on to it so that you can keep God at arm's length. Like I remember what happened, so God, I'm not trusting you anymore. I know enough to know that I need to trust you for my salvation, but beyond that, you and me, mm-mm. And we walk around bitter and angry at God and we just live in that disappointment. And then the third one would be to admit it. This is the healthy response. Admit that you're disappointed with God. Admit it and let God help you with it. God, I don't understand why it happened this way. I thought it would go a different way. I really wanted it to go a different way. I wish you would have made it go a different way. I don't understand it. And take it to him with an open heart and let him help you deal with it and walk through it. That's what God wants you to do with your pain. And I can tell you that it is the only way to freedom. And if you don't do it, you're gonna end up being very apathetic in your faith. So the question is, is my pain feeding apathy in my life? And then fourth and finally, entitlement. I could probably skip this one because none of us probably deal with this. <laughs> um, no, entitlement will breed apathy in your life. It will feed apathy in your faith. If you feel entitled in your faith, it will feed apathy. I've been talking about a little bit over this month about the fact that you know, when we focus too much of our time and energy and, our, and our, our thoughts towards God about just his love and his grace and his mercy and we don't give enough time and attention to his holiness, it puts us way out of balance and we end up being very entitled. You know, I said that God is actually holy before he's loving. 
But those two things have to be married together. If we're just about how much he loves me, it's gonna breed that entitlement in my life because it's gonna make me feel like, well, he loves me so much, I'm entitled. You know, I get to come boldly into his throne room of grace because of how much he loves me. No, you get to come in because he's holy and he loves you and he sent his son to die for you. That's why you get to do it. It's not something we deserve. But man, it's so easy to step into that entitlement mindset that God just kind of, I deserve the good stuff I get from God. That's why we get angry at God when he doesn't do what we want because we feel like we deserve it. And that's a dangerous place to be for us that we would think that God owes us something. In fact, if we wanna talk about what we deserve from God, it's a whole nother conversation and it ends up with us in a lake of fire. So we're not going there. Let's not talk about what we deserve or what we're entitled to. Let's talk about what God has done for us. And when we understand that, the entitlement goes away. The entitlement has to, has to bow the knee because there's no place for me to think that I actually deserve anything good from God. That every, every good thing that happens in my life from him is a gift. It is a blessing from him. But when we are in an entitlement mentality, it makes us focus more on him pleasing us than us pleasing him. And that's dangerous. That's what entitlement does in any aspect of life. It makes you focus more on what that person or that entity is gonna do for you and how they're gonna please you rather than how you can please them. If I'm entitled in my marriage and thinking that my wife should have dinner on the table every day when I get home from work, which by the way, I don't, just so you know, because <laughs> I'm still standing here, so that's good. Um, but if I believe that, then guess what? When I get home, you know what I'm thinking about? When I walk in the door, I'm thinking, dinner better be on the table. She better have done that for me. And if she didn't, guess what? I'm gonna be frustrated, right? But when I don't see it as an entitlement and I see it as an actual blessing, the fact that my wife would be considerate enough because she was home to actually cook a meal so that when I come home, we can eat together. When I look at it like that, then you know what it is? Instead of me being entitled, it's, hey, I'm gonna try to get home a little early so I can actually help her prepare the meal because of the blessing it is, right? <clears throat> I do help, but it's just doing the stupid stuff because she's the cook, so. But you see, you see the difference. When we're entitled, it's like, you better do this for me or I'm gonna be upset. But when, it's, when it's, you know it's a blessing, it's completely different. Now I wanna be part of it, I wanna help. And when we know that God has blessed us with what he's given us, now I want to live to please him. Now I want to live to do more. I wanna live to grow in my knowledge of him. I want to live to honor him and revere him in my life because I'm not entitled. It's because I know that what he did for me was a blessing that I didn't deserve. In fact, he came and did it for me when I sure didn't deserve it because I was still a sinner is what the Bible tells me. That he died for me while I was still in my sin. And the only reason I'm not in my sin is because he died for me. So there's no place for entitlement. There's no room for it. Yet we can absolutely step into that, me included where you start to think, and, and, and you know if you're there because you start to think, why didn't God do that? Like, he should have done that for me. Like, I serve you, God. I, I'm listening, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I mean, there are times that I, I would never say this out loud because you know, God can't hear my thoughts. Of course he can. But it's worse if you say it out loud. But I've had thoughts of like, God, I have given my life to serve you. I've given up stuff to be in ministry, I've given up stuff to go be in missions overseas. Like, I've done this, why haven't you done this? That's entitlement. And that's something you need to recognize and deal with it and repent from it. 
because we are only entitled to death and hell. We are blessed with life and heaven and a relationship with Jesus. Stand with me, please, as we close. So the question for, that, for us on that aspect is, am I entitled? So these are the four questions we need to ask ourselves today. Am I short-sighted? Am I distracted? Is my pain feeding apathy? And, and I'm, am I entitled? And listen, some of you here might be like, hey, you know what, I don't deal with any of those, I'm good. That's great. Some of you might be dealing with all four of them. Some of you might be dealing with more than these four that I didn't even have today. I think this covers a, a lot of what we deal with as as Christians living in the Western world, but there could be more. But I just wanna take a moment today and just ask you to just close your eyes, if you're comfortable with that, bow your heads. And just let God speak to your heart, reveal if any of these are prevalent in your life. Today, not six months ago or five years ago, but something that God might wanna deal with you today. Lord, would you just speak to our hearts today? Lord, do your transforming work that only you can do, God. Thank you, Lord. If he has shown you any of these, just take a moment, just, you could do it silently. Just give it to God. Just give it to him. God, I give you my short-sightedness. I want, to have pers- I want to have an eternal perspective. God, I give you all my distractions. I'm sorry for putting so many other things in front of you. I give those to you today. God, I'm sorry for letting my pain cause me to not trust you and breeding apathy in my life. I release that today. And God, forgive me for being entitled and thinking that you owe me anything because you don't owe me anything. You've given me everything. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is truth, God, and that it is what sets us free. Your truth is what sets us free. God, we wanna have good soil. We want our hearts to be that soil that produces a crop, that produces a harvest in our life. God, that we would walk in the fear of the Lord in reverent fear that we would remember the ransom that was paid for us, a greater ransom than anyone could ever have paid, yet you did it. And we wanna live lives that honor you and show you the honor you're due, that we would stand in awe of all that you are, that apathy would not rule our lives, but, but the awe of you would. We give that to you today, Lord. Be glorified, be honored, be blessed with our lives. Seal the work that you're doing in our hearts right now, God. Seal it, that this would not just be a a Sunday afternoon experience, but this would be transformational for our lives and for our walks of faith. For your glory, God, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, everybody.